Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 34. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color book filled with fuel filler fun, over 60 color photographs of vintage cars, plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Just go to CarsYeah.com and click on the free book button on the homepage. Download your copy of Filler Up today. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am very excited today to introduce my special guest, Thor Thorson. Thor, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am. All right. Thanks for being here. Thor has had a love affair with cars since the early 60s. He's owned, restored, raced, and sold so many cars it's hard to keep track of them all. He's been a ski instructor and was on the ski patrol, a real estate developer, and an entrepreneur at heart. He started vintage racing in the early 80s in a Lotus 7. And in 1989, along with several partners, Thor formed VRM, Vintage Racing Motors, in Redmond, Washington. And he spent the last 25 years restoring, caring for, buying and selling incredible pieces of automotive history. Thor writes a monthly race car profile for Sports Car Market Magazine, sharing his thorough knowledge of the market with enthusiasts who love vintage race cars. He's also spent a significant amount of time racing vintage cars all over the world while making automotive dreams come true for his many customers, friends, and clients. So Thor, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take some time and share a little bit more about your history, VRM, the business, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, I suppose the best way to explain it is that I'm arrested development. I guess I've never really allowed myself to grow up. I'm in my late 60s, and I'm still wondering what I'm going to do if and when I ever grow up. (laughs) And I have basically allowed myself to follow whatever passions seem to make the most sense any at any time, and it's worked out very well, particularly as regards automobiles. So uh, probably as much as I need to say at this point. <laughs> all right. You've yet to grow up. I like that, especially for somebody who uh, plays with all sorts of cars and gets out there and races. We always like to start our journey here, Thor, with a success quote, a saying that's been instrumental in forming your success in your life. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah. So, Thor, take the wheel. Okay. I'm not going to quote anyone else. Just use my own point of view on this. The most important thing is to find whatever it is that you love to do and allow yourself to do it. In my life, every time I have pursued success for the sake of success or for money or anything like that, It's really never worked out very well. But when I've simply allowed myself to do whatever it was that I really wanted to do and found myself to be good at doing, it's worked out well. So my simple answer, my quote for success is, do what you want to do, not what somebody else thinks you should do, or not even necessarily what you think you should do. Find what you love to do and allow yourself to do it. Well, that's perfect for what Cars Yeah! is all about, is inspiring automotive enthusiasts and take that enthusiasm and find a way to create a life around that. Thor, how have you incorporated that success quote into your business and your life and your passion for cars? Well, 
basically the short way is that I spent a long time as a real estate developer, and though I was moderately successful at it, I really didn't enjoy it very much. Uh, it was something I did because I thought that I was supposed to do it. I was supposed to earn a mess of money doing real estate and, uh, and, and those kinds of things. And again, I was moderately successful at it, but I didn't have any fun. And then along about 1989, things moved around a little bit, and I had the opportunity to simply more or less throw that away, although I've done quite a lot of developing since, uh, and concentrate on my love for automobiles. And at that point, really, my certainly my enjoyment of my life and my career skyrocketed. That's fantastic. Now, VRM is a company focused on vintage racing motors, and I know that you started racing vintage cars long time ago. So obviously you took that passion for vintage racing and created a career around it. What were the steps you took to to get that all moving forward and say, hey, I can actually create a business around this passion and hopefully make some money with it and have some fun, which is, sounds like the most important factor. Well, I, I suppose the whole thing started with with how I got to love automobiles in the first place. And that goes back to I grew up in northern Iowa. Um, my father was an architect. And about the time, this would have been in the late 50s, about the time that I was uh, a, little, a little too old for model airplanes, hormones starting to run, uh, not quite sure what I was going to do with my life. And my father went out and bought a bright red Jaguar XK150 coupe. Now, in Waterloo, Iowa, in 1959, there wasn't very much cooler than a bright red Jaguar coupe. And it hooked me on the idea of something very cool. I've always liked machines. I was one of those kids that that was taking machines apart from model airplanes to go-karts to everything, taking an engine apart to see how it worked. And so when that happened, I got involved. And a few years after that, after I was driving around learning love sports cars my father took me to a sports car race at Elkhart Lake um, in 19 that'd be 1961 the spring sprints and he took me up just a father-son thing to do we flew up in a little airplane and landed in an alfalfa field and walked over to the track um, in those days you could do that kind of thing and I sat up on Canada corner and I watched the Ferraris and the Corvettes and I was just hooked on the speed and the glory and the excitement of the whole thing and that that sort of was the point at which I became really hooked on, particularly on, on sports cars and particularly racing cars. Anyway, so that, of course, I went through college and didn't have any money for a long time as I was good, you know, learning, learning how to be somebody. Eventually, I wandered off to college where I had to go try to be much more productive, I suppose. <laughs> and... After college, uh, my eyes are weird because of they're very nearsighted, so I didn't have to go die for my country in Vietnam. So like any other high type A pressured kind of individual uh, with a career path, I went skiing hmm. um, <laughs> and wandered up into the mountains. Uh, I'd been taught to ski as a very young boy. I uh, wandered up into the mountains of Colorado and found myself a job um, originally as a ski instructor and later on as a ski patrolman. Again, just because uh, there was no reason to do anything else. I was having a good time, and I was following my passion. Did that for a number of years, and eventually decided I had to get more real with my life, so I went back and got, and got an MBA and got involved with my father in real, real estate developing at the beginnings of the Keystone Ski Resort. Uh, followed that for quite some time until it was time for me to leave the mountains. I just I knew it was time, so I packed everything up in my old Alpha and 
headed west. Uh, I had friends in the Seattle area and decided I would head west. And I didn't head to Seattle. I ended up going to San Francisco and then Los Angeles, where I found some friends and a woman and things like that, and spent the next six years in uh, in Los Angeles. In that period of time, I supported myself as a real estate developer, having gotten into it in the beginnings with my father. So, Thor, you ended up in Los Angeles as a real estate developer, but cars were still your passion. So what brought you up to the Pacific Northwest, and how did you come up with VRM and get involved with all that? Well, it's a long and devious and, and circuitous story, I suppose. <laughs> Basically, uh, in undergraduate school, I'd become great friends with another, uh, with a man, a little boy, I guess, in those days, uh, with whom I shared a love of automobiles, motorcycles, beer, women, uh, excitement, skiing, adrenaline, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and he lived in Seattle. He was born and raised in Seattle. So at the point that I realized that uh, that I was done with Los Angeles, I decided to go back on the original track. It's when I had left Colorado, I had really sort of intended to go to Seattle. I had just gotten waylaid for six years. So I headed for Seattle because it's a part of the world that I love and because I had a number of grand friends here who also shared the automobile passion. Anyway, I got up here in what, 1980 and spent uh, quite some time, quite a number of years, again, working as a real estate developer, builder, et cetera, et cetera. But during that period of time, I allowed myself to get back involved with uh, particularly race cars, uh, helping my friend build his race car that he had, and then uh, eventually building up this uh, Lotus 7, which he actually sort of loaned to me for a period of years. Um, And eventually, though working as a real estate person, I was spending more and more time in the car business. Uh, And then long about 1989, uh, the friend was getting rather successful, and he and I decided that it would be a good idea to build a company together. Um, He was successful financially, and I didn't really want to be in the real estate business anymore. So we agreed to form a, a, a car dealership racing operation, and the concept was that we would uh, that we would make enough money buying and selling racing cars or used cars, uh, classic cars or whatever, to support our racing habit, habits plural. And so we formed Vintage Racing Motors with the specific idea of doing that. And it, interestingly, it has proven rather successful. Oh, it certainly, certainly has. And, and I love the the evolution here that from being a child and loving cars and then going through this career path that you were successful in, but it wasn't your passion, and you found a way to end up back in the field that you're passionate about. So that's spectacular. It was really, it was some, I would say it was serendipitous, but something that I will point in here as, as my own point of view, having to do with philosophy. One thing that I have learned in my own life, learned in my own life, is that somehow if you deeply want something to happen, and watch and sort of keep yourself around in the game, you will see that opportunities present themselves that allow that. It, it's never the same twice, but you have to just sort of realize when an opportunity is presenting it and grab that opportunity and, and, and allow your life to go in the direction you want it to go. Spectacular words of wisdom. I love that. And those entrepreneurs out there listening should really heed those words of advice. There are these opportunities that pop up in our lives, and if you keep your eyes open, you can grab them and run off into the world of of automobiles like Thor did. Was there a a specific time in your life, Thor, that you knew you were a car guy, that pivotal moment? Oh, I guess I knew I was a car guy when I was 15. Um, You know, just I was hooked very early on. And so that that hasn't really changed ever. I 
didn't realize that it was going to be possible for me to make my living uh, as a car guy until basically 1989 or so when we when we saw a mechanism by which I could uh, form a company and try to actually make a living in the business. And that was just serendipity. The line I use is if you're interested in something, you, you sort of like being in a poker game. You don't always get a wonderful hand, but the idea is to play the things so that you stay in the game because one of these days you're going to get the right hand. <laughs> you do get the hand, then you play it. <laughs> That's perfect. I like that. So, Thor, what I want to do now is take a look at your journey and the roads you've driven down and really crawl under the hood and get our hands a little dirty. Would you share with us a huge challenge or even a failure that you faced and something that really pushed you to a breaking point, but more importantly, how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it? On the car side, probably it was the first serious restoration uh, my business partner Byron and I did. Uh, We were just working out of a garage in those days. We had an Allard uh, J2X Le Mans, and, and the owner wanted us to do a full restoration, uh, as in bare frame. We thought it was a cool idea. We'd never done one before that way, but uh, we just proceeded to take the car apart and and bit by bit put it back together. And, of course, we ran out of time and we ran out of energy, and the car was supposed to run at the year of Allard in Monterey, which would have been about 1989. We ended up working just insane hours trying to get this thing together and finally got it together the night before it had to be in Monterey. So we were taking three cars. Uh, He drove one truck. I drove the other. Neither one of us with any sleep at all. Drove all the way, fortunately, without getting in accidents. Got to Monterey, got the car on the track, and it made four laps and blew up because we'd made a dumb mistake in the motor. Oh. And so on the car side, that was... It was a very, very difficult time for me, but it did teach me perseverance, and it taught me to, well, it taught me to manage my time an awful lot better. What had happened is I had allowed, I had allowed too much to get in the way of things getting done, um, and it allowed us to make stupid mistakes, which in turn, you know, sort of defeated the purpose of all the work we had done. Sure. But I think that would probably be an example I would use. Oh, definitely. Time management, uh, a key yeah. in any entrepreneur's life and especially someone that has a drop-dead deadline like a vintage race coming up or any race coming up or project that you've got to present to the customer and make them happy. And also managing expectations. If you know you can't do it, it's better to say you can't do it well in advance and deal with that disappointment than it is to pretend you can and then fail. Oh, absolutely. Thor, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum and share that moment when you had one of those aha light bulb moments in your career, a time when you realized that, hey, I think we're really going to make it. This this business is really going to work. Could you tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success? Well, I think probably the aha moment that I would would talk about is it's not a specific deal or anything like that. One, it was it was a part of my having to to learn something very important, and that was in the beginning the idea of running the company was that we were going to buy and sell cars and make enough money to hopefully support our racing car habit, which is anybody who's been around it knows is just a horrible drain of sink of money. <laughs> oh, yes. And unfortunately, I don't sell anything very well. My personality is such that my line is I couldn't sell water to a thirsty oil shake. Mm-hmm. And so the sales side was really miserable, candidly. 
And the aha moment was the point at which I realized that my job was not necessarily to do something that I wasn't good at, which is to sell cars. My job was to get them sold. And so I realized that though I'm a lousy salesman, I administer pretty well. So I started to put together arrangements with people who were very good at selling, but were not very good at other things that I was good at and formed arrangements by which they would do the buying and selling and in terms of the front stuff, and I would simply make sure that it all worked. I would handle the administrative and the finance and stuff like that. And at that point, the company started to make pretty serious money um, and actually started to succeed. So my aha moment was realizing, I don't have to do things. I have to be sure they get done. Oh, that's so I'm important. Not something, find somebody that is. That is so important, and what a great lesson to learn, and uh, something that everybody out there should really think about when they're they're running their own business and trying to start a business. Is there may be things that you aren't real good at delegate, but just make sure that they get done by the right person. So thank you. That's great. I love that. Let's have a little fun here, Thor. What was your first car, and can you maybe share some exciting memories you had with that vehicle? <laughs> Well, I'm going I'm to give you two first cars. Okay. My first car actually wasn't really the first car. I drove my sister's old Nash for a few months after I turned 16. But when I was, for Christmas on my my 16th year, I was given a thousand dollars to go buy a car, and somewhere I found an extra hundred bucks, and I went out and I bought brand new red Morris Mini Miner. This is in 1961 in Waterloo, Iowa, which is not exactly Mini Miner country. No. But uh, 1100 bucks tax license and a half a tank of gas out the door. <laughs> um, and it was a fabulous little thing because it handled so well. It wasn't fast. I mean, it was a bone stock 850 Mini, barely any, any faster than the Volkswagen. But it took care of me. And, it, took, and it, it, it allowed me to learn an awful lot of lessons about what you can and you can't do with a car. So it sort of kept me alive for the first number of years while I, uh, while I learned how to drive and, and what you can and can't do, including perching it on top of a number of snowbanks. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> you know, and I discovered what black ice is like, but oh, never yeah. hurting me and never hurting itself, interestingly. Uh, anyway, that was my really the, sort of the first real car that I had. The other car that I would like to talk about is when I graduated from undergraduate school in June of 1967, I went out and I bought a brand new, so I've given a little bit of money for my parents, I would... Uh, I went out and bought a brand new 1967 Alfa Romeo GTV, 1600 GTV. Oh, wonderful! Um, which was just my my idea of a car. It's a, it's subtle, it's beautiful, it's exotic. It is the kind of car that most people don't even notice, but the cognoscenti understand. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a car you use to impress other people unless you impress that you you impress the people you want to impress not somebody just just driving down the road mm-hmm. and i drove that car for oh you know, the first 3 years when i was ski patrolling uh, up in the mountains so i put four wheel studded uh, uh snow tires on it and commuted back and forth uh around the high mountains for for years uh, and that taught me a tremendous amount about car control because in those days there was no traffic and um the roads were twisty and narrow and you know, ice covered, snow covered, and also empty. So you could just, I just was playing rally driver for 
have 45 minutes every morning and 45 minutes every evening oh, how on fun. Fifty Mountain Roads. And a, a tremendous amount of uh, learning about car control and doing that. Anyway, so I eventually sold that car to a very close friend of mine named Wink. And he kept it for a long time, and he sold it to another old college friend named Garb, uh, nicknamed Garb. And he kept it for a long time, and then a number of years later, he ended up being a geologist in Alaska. And he called me up and said, look, the old elf is sitting up here, and I don't know what to do with it. I'm going to put it on a barge and send it back. So he did, and it just sat out in the corner of my lot for another five or six years. Anyway, I eventually got to the point that I said, you know, I can restore this. So I proceeded to start having it restored. And as of, actually, as of about a week ago, it is now completely done, perfect, bare frame, bare, bare chassis, restored. The Alfa Romeo that I bought brand new in 1967 that has in its life been owned by three close friends and is now fully restored and back in my possession. Oh, what a wonderful story. I've got this huge smile on my face. I wish you could see me. I was hoping that's where you were going. And, and maybe you answered the next question I was going to ask you about seller's remorse. Is there a car that you sold that you wish you still owned? <laughs> I've owned two Ferraris in my life, and they were both wonderful cars. I loved them dearly. Uh, the first was a 250 Ferrari Lusso um, that mm. I had bought in 1969, as I recall, 1969, something like that, uh, here in Seattle. Um, it had a 275 GTB motor in it, and the guy that had done the work had crunched a fender and decided to be done with it. So I bought the thing for, as I recall, 62 or 6,500 bucks Ooh. with the crunched fender. <laughs> I drove it back to uh, back to Denver or the high mountains where I was living in those days, got it fixed. I kept that car for about 10 years. Oh, wow. And absolutely loved it. It's a fabulously beautiful car, a sweet driver. It's everything you could ask for in a street Ferrari. It's a fabulous thing. Oh. In the process of this whole thing, Actually, this guy that I was telling you about that I sold the Alpha to, Wink, had early on, also up here in Seattle, had found a Ferrari 500 TRC, which is a two-liter Testarossa, mm. with a Chevy engine in it. And he bought the thing for, as I recall, $5,800 with the Chevy engine in it, drove it for a summer or two, and then put it away, figuring he was going to you know, restore it someday. Eventually, he decided he was going to go be a cowboy in Wyoming rather than a lawyer in Boulder, and so realized that he had to sell the car. So he called me up, and he basically, he had my alpha, and we'd agreed to give me some money one day when he sold it. So he said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll sell you my Ferrari for the $5,800 I've got in it, and I'll take your alpha as my profit. I said, mm. done. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up buying this Ferrari Testarossa. Uh, and I sent it over to a friend in Denver to do the, re the restoration. Anyway, getting that restored ended up eating quite a lot of money, and I eventually sold the Ferrari Lusso to finance the restoration of the Ferrari Testarossa. Mm -hmm. And I got that finished, and I drove it and vintage raced it for a couple of years, and then some things in my life didn't go as well as they should have. Real estate developing is not always a fun job. And I found that I needed to sell the car. So I sold the car for $135,000, figuring that, well, if I ever want one by, I'll just go buy one. Of course, it hasn't exactly worked that <laughs> oh, way. Oh, <laughs> gosh, yeah. I'm not even going to ask what those those yeah, are going so for I, now. The cars I regret for are the two Ferraris. And wow. They you know, were wonderful cars to own. I have fabulous memories of them. So there's nothing to regret. Now, I've always said that with cars in your past is you really cannot look back except on the fond memories. You've got to just keep moving forward. So, wow, those are some 
wonderful vehicles. Now, here's an interesting question. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? <laughs> yeah, I imagine in your interviews you've had quite a few interesting answers to this. I have had a couple really interesting and, uh, answers. Interestingly, I think probably I would be a Volvo. A Volvo? A Volvo. Isn't that interesting? Because no. Why? Well, aside from the fact of Scandinavian, obviously I'm Scandinavian, of but course. that's not the point. The thing is that a Volvo is, I, I, I am not a high-profile person. I'm not a front man. I'm, a, I'm in any organization. I'm, I'm the back office person. I'm the one that's quietly back there making sure it all works. I'm more than happy to let something else, somebody else be flashy. Um, and so I think, and I've never in my life owned a Volvo, I should say that maybe. But I think if I were a car, that's what I would be. Uh, not very flashy, but extremely competent and very dependable. There and by the way, for early Volvos like the PV544s make fantastic vintage race cars. Oh. Um, they're a joy to drive. The engine, though it's not very special looking, makes wonderful horsepower, and you couldn't break it with a sledgehammer. <laughs> um, so they're really, it, it's a much more interesting thing than you might project. But if I was, if I was a car, I'd be a Volvo. I would just be something that is absolutely dependable and trustworthy, um, and probably you know a little, a little bit a little bit heavy, but uh, <laughs> but ultimately dependable. Well, knowing you and I've known you for gosh almost twenty years now, um, mm-hmm. I think that was a great answer. That was really good. And considering the the exotic cars you've worked around, you answered that probably more honestly than anybody ever has. So always be honest. Though. Always be honest. That's great. So Thor, this is one of my favorite parts of our talk. I call it the last lap. And this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give us some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Sure. Okay. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Relative to cars, it's very simple. Buy a car that you love or do things that you love that you can afford to do, and you do it because you love them for no other purpose. Do not go out and try to invest in cars. If you love a car, find a way to buy it. If I had been able, if I had been smarter, I'd have found ways to have not sold that Luso. I'd have found ways to have not sold uh, the Testarossa, and I'd be far better off than I am now. <laughs> but uh, the idea is do things you love because you love them and can, you, and, and can afford to do them. Don't pretend that you're somebody other than who you are. Don't pretend you're richer than you are. Perfect. It never works. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? Can you share one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to your success? Interestingly, I think my biggest characteristic, not so much a habit, is I have, it's strange to say this because it's going to seem contradictory, but I have a remarkable lack of ego. I really don't need to be in front. Uh, I don't need to be honored. I'd almost prefer not to be. I'm very happy to make sure that other people around me are successful rather than my being successful. I take that sort of quietly on my own. So I would think it has also, by the way, allowed me to work effectively with some extremely powerful, extremely wealthy, and extremely difficult individuals because my lack of, uh, I have no desire to do anything other than sort of work with them and compliment them. Yeah. It allows me to work with them. That's great. And knowing you as I do, that is, that is Thor Thorson. It's a wonderful attribute. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners that you're particularly fond of? Perhaps it's a website, a supplier, 
aside from probably the normal plug for Sports Car Market magazine, which I find to be an amazingly interesting magazine across the board and very, very useful in the collector car business. Um, I really don't. I'm sorry. No, that collector car magazine is great, and uh, I hope to get Keith on this show one day soon. I, I love that magazine. It's a real nice pulse on the market, what cars are selling for. And I mentioned at the beginning of this show that Thor writes uh, a monthly article for them on race cars. So uh, pick pick that magazine up, get a subscription. Uh, really, it's a fun read if you're into cars. Is there a book that you've recently read, Thor, that you've really enjoyed that you could share with our listeners? Having to do with cars? <laughs> well, it, <laughs> Sorry, this is off the... It doesn't... This is edited out, but no, it, I don't read about cars. No, it doesn't have to be about cars. It could be about business. It could be about well, whatever, fiction, nonfiction. I read constantly. I have great joy in reading in books. And, and I can't think of anything that's going to tie into this. Oh, it in, doesn't have interview. to. You know what? It doesn't have to. I've had people answer in very different ways, and it can lead somebody down a path to reading that they never thought they'd go. So maybe the last book you read that you really enjoyed. Okay. Well, I, I tend to read an awful lot about history. I mean, I've, I, I read a lot about cars because, because I research my I research my articles for Sports Car Market. Ludwigsen's book on Porsche is a fantastic resource and a very wonderfully written book uh, having to do with the development of Porsche. But in terms of my personal reading, I tend a lot toward history. And I've just finished a book called Sleepwalkers, which is uh, basically a history of how the world walked into World War I uh, in a situation where Two months before World War I happened, nobody, not the Germans, not the Russians, not the French, not the England, nobody had the slightest intention of going to war. Mm. And yet we entered into probably the most devastating war in the history, certainly, of, of mankind to that point. The history of how we sort of blundered into it without ever intending to do so uh, I found to be fascinating oh, uh, and very useful in terms of thinking about how the world is working today. Yes, sounds like a wonderful book. Well, listeners, you can find all these resources at carsyad.com slash Thor Thorson. Just uh, look that up, and we'll post all of these resources, including that history book, on Thor's show notes page. So, Thor, now we're up to the checkered flag. And being a racer, you know what that means. We're at the end of the race here. This last question can be real challenging for some people. I like to call it a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, something you couldn't sell to buy other cars with, and money was no object, what would that car be and why? Oh, it's very simple. It would be a Ferrari short wheelbase, 250 short wheelbase. Mm. They're the most fabulous driving cars. Um, They are... You can drive them on a tour. You can drive them on the track. You can take them to the grocery store. They are gorgeous. They are comfortable. They sound wonderful. They're dependable. They're easy to maintain within the constraints of a, you know, of a Ferrari, of course. But I would, if I could only have one car and have it forever, it would be a Ferrari 250 short wheelbase. That's one of my favorite cars as well, and I was so fortunate. In fact, you were at this event with me when this happened. I was at the Cavallino Classic in uh, Palm Beach years ago, and a friend of mine has one of those. And he actually tossed me the keys and let me drive it, and I would agree. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Yeah, I've had uh, I've had several short wheelbases pass through my inventory, and I've had a chance to drive them both an alloy short wheelbase and a, and a steel one. Nice. And they were both just fabulous cars. Oh yeah, well, great choice. Well, Thor, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with our listeners. 
if you could give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Ferrari, and then let our listeners know what is the best way for them to learn more about VRM, and we'll say goodbye. Well, I think it pretty well already said it. Be who you are. Be comfortable in your own skin, and don't pretend to be anybody other than who you are. Allow the world to accept that, and you will find, amazingly, that things come together in unexpected and fortuitous ways. The worst thing to do is pretend you're somebody that you're not. And I have had to learn how to be that person that I am and accept that I'm comfortable in my own skin. So that would, be my, that would be my simple and philosophic advice. I like that. And what's the best way for people to find out more about VRM? Well, we, we have a website, Vintage Racing Motors. It's uh, vrmotors.com on the web, www.etc. And uh, look us up. Great. We'll do that. And I'll remind everybody that I'll post these links on Thor's show notes page at carsyad.com slash Thor Thorson. Thank you, Thor, for being so generous with your time, your expertise, and sharing your experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.